Hey everybody, glad you joined us for this live stream message from the Neighborhood Church. Hope you stick with us, and I gotta tell you, uh, this isn't so ideal, is it? But uh, we keep live streaming, we keep connecting virtually, even if it's not the ideal. But I wanna remind you now, like we did uh, earlier during this pandemic, that the church does not equal content. We provide worship videos, teaching videos, we're doing Bible studies, VBS, we're providing great children's videos and children's curriculum, but the church does not equal content. The content is given to help us in our life with God together. Because the church is not content, the church is a people. And the neighborhood church is a people following Jesus together for God's kingdom in our neighborhood, even if we're doing that at a distance. So if you've been watching the news like I have, you've seen that day after day after day, cases are still through the roof, climbing. So I want to begin the way we began so often during this live stream pandemic season, and that's praying for our community. Specifically, I want to begin by praying for those who are working in hospitals and on the front lines of healthcare. And then I want to pray for those who work in our schools because a lot of guidelines and headlines have been coming out these last few weeks in anticipation of a really unusual school year. So I want to begin and I want to invite you to join with me in praying for our healthcare and frontline workers and for those that work in our schools. So would you just take a deep breath, become present to God's presence among us and with us and within us. Become present to the Holy Spirit who knits us together even when we're apart. Would you hold in your head and your heart the brothers and sisters who you're on this journey with Jesus together and alongside even though we're apart. And would you join me, a soul at attention before God in prayer, present to God's presence as we pray for our community. Would you join me? We pray for those, Lord, who work in the front lines in healthcare, in hospitals, in ambulances, in doctor's offices, Lord, we pray for protection, for your energy, and for your compassion. And Lord, hear your people as we pray for those specifically connected to the neighborhood church. Lord, we lift up Julie and Brian and Bernie and Robert. And Lord, we ask over them and over all those frontline healthcare workers for your peace, your protection, your energy, and your compassion. In the name of the compassionate one, Jesus, we pray. And Lord, we also lift up those who work in our schools, facing all that uncertainty as those guidelines and headlines begin to come. Lord, with all the uncertainty about this upcoming school year, Lord, we ask your peace be upon them. We ask for clarity, for wisdom, for safety. And Lord, hear your people 
as we lift up by name those connected to the neighborhood church who work in our schools. Lord, we pray for Angela, for Amanda, for Kelly, for Toby, for Amy, for Cameron, for Malisha, for Becky, for Miguel, for Courtney, for Lynette, for all those facing uncertainty, would you breathe your peace upon them? We pray this in the name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus, our King. So Lord, we ask that you would heal the sick, that you would comfort the lonely, that you would provide for the poor, that you would push back infection, and that you would empower us, your people, to love you, our God, with all of our hearts, our souls, our minds, our strength, and that we would love our neighbor as ourself. And we ask this for your honor and our good. And we pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Our church, as we just said a moment ago, is not just content, it's a people. So keep encouraging one another. Keep praying for one another. Keep connecting with our resources. But more than anything, keep connecting with one another. Would we encourage one another more and more in this season until we can be together again face to face? But until then, I'm glad that we're here. And I hope that you'll stick with us. I want to get into Acts chapter 3. We're going to round out this chapter in our ongoing story in the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 3, would you swipe there, open up a new window, search it. We're going to start in verse 11. But as you're turning there, let me get you up to speed to where we were last week. You may remember in our story that some friends took their paralyzed brother, their friend, and laid him at the gate outside of the temple. They laid him outside of the gate of the Hebrew temple, hoping that the religious worshipers on their way into the temple would feel compassion and pity and help a brother out, give him a few bucks. So he was begging for money. Now, then we have our friends Peter and John making their way into the temple at three in the afternoon for one of the Jewish times of prayer and worship. So they're walking past this beggar, this paralyzed man, like they probably had several times before. But this time, they walk past the paralyzed man and they look at him. They look intently at him. They're sizing him up and present to him. And when the man is expecting them to help him out with a couple bucks, Peter and John say, silver and gold, I don't have any. But what I do have, I'm going to give to you. They say, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And no sooner do they say that, do they grab his arm and help lift him up. And the way Luke tells the story is that his feet were immediately made strong. And this dude doesn't just start walking. He starts leaping and dancing and praising God. Almost immediately, he doesn't thank Peter and John. He thanks God. He has enough awareness that this is the kind of thing that God does. And then I love this part of the story that we looked at last week. Peter, John, and this newly healed man walk inside the temple together. And they're worshiping and thanking God for this amazing thing that happened. Well, remember, this is during the busy time of their Jewish 
prayer in the busy temple. So a crowd sees this. They're amazed. They're astonished. Some of them are angry. Lord willing, that's what we're talking about next week. But man, word is spreading. So now imagine that they go in, they perform their worship service, their prayers, and word is spread enough to where in the church foyer, okay, right? Like the church parking lot, uh, the crowd gathers in what's known as Solomon's portico or colonnade or porch, depending on your translation. These space in which people would gather that had these long, tall columns with a roof overhead. So part open air, part enclosed, but a crowd is gathered when the prayer time's over and they're amazed and wondering what just happened. That's where we pick up our story here in Acts chapter 3. This amazing healing has is, healing is happened in the name of Jesus, and then Peter's going to explain himself to this astonished crowd. You with me? You cool? You sticking with me? Let's get into it. We have a lengthy, dense, powerful passage of Scripture where Peter's going to draw on all of these themes from the Hebrew Bible, and he's going to get it into his response. So stay with me. Pay attention. This is some wild, powerful stuff. Okay? Verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John. Okay, so imagine Peter and John there. and This guy is like clinging to him, looking at the crowd who are amazed because he was the guy that was paralyzed like an hour ago. Now he's walking and with them. All the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us? as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's an Old Testament quote there, they're very familiar with, the God of our fathers has glorified this servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, (laughs) though he decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. That's kind of ironic. The giver of life, the author of life, was the one that lost his life because you killed him? Ouch. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. So pause there. He's saying, guys, I know you were kind of ignorant, but you should have known better because the prophets were saying that the Messiah, God's king, actually, he was supposed to die. He was supposed to suffer, even though you were ignorant of it. You still with me? So this is what he says in verse 19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, 
Messiah was the chosen king, the one that was anointed their king. This king was appointed to them, even Jesus. Verse 21. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Jesus is with God, anointed and uh, ascended to God's right hand. He's hanging out with God right now until he comes back and finishes the work of refreshing and renewal that he started. Okay, you still with me? This is deep, dense, powerful stuff. So, pick it up in verse 22. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. And anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. He's quoting Moses in the Old Testament. Verse 24, rounding home. Indeed, beginning with Samuel and all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days, right now, where we are speaking, right now. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. Verse 26. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. That was dense. That was powerful. That came after a powerful healing in Jesus' name. So let me give you Peter's message in a nutshell. Okay? There's four pieces to our little nutshell. You ready? Here's what it is. This has God's fingerprints all over it. Then Peter says, in fact, Jesus is God's fingerprint in a person. The third piece, so change your mind about Jesus. Fourth piece, because the story of God's blessing is summed up in Jesus. Okay, let me say that again. This has God's fingerprints all over it. In fact, Jesus is God's fingerprint in person. So change your mind about Jesus because the story of God's blessing is summed up in Jesus. This isn't some weird add-on. This is where the story was headed all along. And you of all people should be able to see it. But it all starts with that question, right? So why are you so surprised? This is where this whole thing was headed all along. This man is healed because God loves to heal. This is what God does. Why are you so surprised is the question that Peter asks of the crowd. Last summer, my family and I had the opportunity to go to one of those resorts, the kind of resorts with the big old pool, and they would schedule family activities throughout the day, throughout your stay. And one of our favorite activities that we had was a magician that came one afternoon while we were staying there. And so we all showed up in the hotel lobby, you all sit on the ground, and the magician starts his show, and our oldest daughter, Emma, was lucky enough and fortunate enough to be one of his assistants. So Emma's super pumped, she stands up, she goes and walks over to the magician, and for this particular trick, for which Emma's an assistant, it involved toilet paper. I know, super magical, right? So he took a roll of toilet paper, and he said, okay, Emma... 
I want you to start to tug on this and roll it out until we say stop, okay? You just take as much as you want and say stop, and then we'll stop. So Emma started pulling on the toilet paper, just unspooling, 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 and then she goes, okay, stop. So then when she stopped, he ripped off that piece, and she had this long stretch of toilet paper. Wonderful magic trick, by the way. So then the next thing the magician wanted his assistant Emma to do was to take that long stretch of toilet paper and start to tear it up into all these little pieces. So Emma was game. She was a great assistant. She starts tearing it, tearing it, tearing it, making all the snowflakes. And I think at this point the magician was kind of second-guessing it because there was a lot of pieces left on the ground. So then he says, okay, okay, Emma, that's enough, that's enough. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to gather up all those pieces that you tore up, gather them all up, and put them here in my hands. And so Emma grabs up all this little toilet paper that she had torn up and puts it in his hand and puts more in his hand and puts more in his hand and puts all those little pieces until it's balled up into the magician's hand. Then you can probably guess what happens next, right? with a wave of his hand and abracadabra holding all those little broken pieces of toilet paper, he says, okay, Emma, look close because I'm going to pull something out of my hand. And what does he pull out, right? He starts to tug and tug and tug. And what does he pull out? But a long stretch of pristine toilet paper. I'm talking double ply, Charmin, whatever, man. And the crowd goes wild. And what was so great about that trick was not just the trick itself. It was Emma's face. It was that eight-year-old, seven-year-old face of astonishment and amazement also mixed in with some confusion, right? <laughs> like, did this just happen? Like, it blew her mind. We knew it blew her mind because he even handed her that stretch of pristine, unbroken toilet paper, and she literally walked back to our seats, like holding it like it was some kind of like sacred object, just staring at it with that mix of astonishment and confusion. You could just see the gears in her mind turning, saying, how in the world did this happen? Now, like that magic trick, something broken had been made whole. Last week, we looked at the healing part of the story and the way that Luke tells it, who wrote the book of Acts, he even uses language with the connotation that this man who was broken was made whole in the name of Jesus. Like that magic trick, this story, something broken was made whole. Like that magic trick last summer, the crowd had a similar mix of astonishment and also confusion. How did this happen? But unlike that magic trick last summer with the toilet paper, what happened between Peter and John and Jesus and this broken man, that was not a trick at all. In fact, we have to understand in Peter's response, that's one of the first things he wants them to know. This is no magic trick. This was not because... I am one of those like faith healing magicians or shamans or some kind of person that thinks he's got some super powers. This is no trick at all. So unlike that magic trick, this ain't no trick. 
the other piece of the puzzle, unlike that magic trick, this person, Peter, was happy to explain. In fact, last summer, when all was said and done, Emma ran up to the magician after the show, and she was like, uh, how did this happen? And it kind of impressed us, because instead of giving her an answer, he took that same toilet paper, balled it up, and kind of went behind his ear, you know what I'm saying? And then it was gone. So we left even more confused than what we had been earlier. But unlike that magician, Peter is happy to gather up that crowd and say, no, I'm happy to tell you what's going on. And here's the first thing he says. Why are you so astonished and confused and surprised? Because this has God's fingerprints all over it. That's the first movement of his explanation. This has God's fingerprints all over it. So let's give credit where credit is due. The first piece of that puzzle is, it's not us, it's God. Don't think that we're superheroes. Don't think we're super holy. This may sound odd to us, but think about it like this. If we're really honest, I think that we can trick ourselves into thinking, you know, God will answer this prayer or God will do that if I just tried a little harder or if I was just a little holier. And I got to tell you, that's not how this thing always works. Peter is saying, don't think that we're just some superheroes or super holy. This happened because we're aligned with the power and the name of Jesus, the King of Kings. I want you to understand that it's not because of their good behavior or their super holiness. It's because they've hitched their wagon to a power beyond anything else we could imagine. They've hitched their wagon to the name of Jesus. That's why when we pray, we want to pray in the name of Jesus. We want to align ourselves with who Jesus is and what Jesus does. This has God's fingerprints all over it. It ain't me. I ain't a magician. It ain't a trick. It's God, not us. We're just hitching our wagon to the one in whom God is working. Which brings me to my second piece of the puzzle. It's God who's at work in Jesus. And by the way, the third piece of the puzzle is, that's the same God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, he is working in this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. That's the first movement. God has his fingerprints all over it. It's not us, it's God. The same God you and I both know, this God at work in Jesus. You with me so far? This is what Peter is explaining to this confused and astonished crowd. Why are you so surprised? This is what God loves to do. Heal and bring wholeness and new life and a new chance which is really important because he says that this God is at work in Jesus. You know the one. God glorified Jesus. God raised Jesus, but you killed him. But you disowned him. One way you could say it is this. Humanity's no to Jesus has been overcome by God's yes to Jesus. You see, humanity did what humanity loves to do, 
when someone comes on the scene talking about a new kingdom and a new power, unlike any kingdom and any power that you have seen or smelled or experienced. But that's not even fair enough to say because it really isn't new. It's just the revelation of what God has longed to do and had been at work doing for centuries. When Jesus comes on the scene, humanity does what they always do, and they try to oppress and eliminate any new signs of grace and peace and life and light. They publicly executed him. Humanity said no to Jesus, no to God's king, no, no way could this guy be that guy. But Peter wants to tell him, no, 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 you said no to Jesus, but God said yes. We know this to be true because he raised him from the dead. We were witnesses to this. We saw this. Jesus has God's fingerprints all over him. And when we healed this guy in the name of Jesus, that has God's fingerprints all over it. Don't be surprised. Look alive. This is what God is up to. Where humanity said no, God said yes. So the invitation then is we need to say yes in faith to Jesus and find that new life and that grace and that wholeness revealed in our midst and in our everyday lives. Let me back away and maybe help illustrate it in our real everyday lives. Can I confess to you that sometimes I'm a little too surprised when I see God work? Can I confess to you that sometimes I pray for healing and peace and comfort? And can I confess that I'm a little too surprised when God actually answers my prayers? I know I talked about Emma a moment ago, but Emma and Nora have a lot to teach me about my life with God. You who have been around little kids know that the scrapes and cuts and bruises can be huge things, right? They're the ones that come up to you with that tiny little speck and say, I need a Band-Aid. I need all the Band-Aids. It's a life or death situation. Every cut, bruise, scrape, hurt, and ache. So what we try to do to mitigate all the craziness, all the fear, all the ah-ness, is we say, okay, let's pray. Let's pray to Jesus. He can do it, even if we can't fix it. So I've learned from Emma and Nora, when we put our hands on them and pray that God would heal them, when we, even in the littlest things, put them to bed and say, God, give them good dreams tonight. God, heal their little aches and bumps and bruises. I got to tell you, when they wake up in the morning or when they look back a day or two later, they say without any surprise, but very matter-of-factly, yeah, Jesus did it. He healed me. And I got to tell you, it's in those moments that I feel, oh yeah, I'm surprised he did. Do you, are you with me on this? I think sometimes we can be a little too surprised when God does what he loves to do. I think even when we pray, we can pray with some semblance of like, yeah, it'd be great if you could, but I get it if not. Are you with me or am I the only one? Sometimes I think if Peter were to come alongside our community and the way we pray, I think he would come alongside us and say, why are you so surprised that he's given you daily bread today? 
Why are you so surprised that even when things aren't going your way, even if you're not getting what you wanted, why are you surprised to know that peace is still on offer to the one who comes alongside you even in the valley of the shadow of death? Why should you be surprised at that supernatural comfort when there's no explanation for it in the valley? Why are we surprised? I don't know about you, but I want to live my life asking in faith and trust and hitching my wagon to the name of Jesus. And I want to live my everyday life not surprised to find him with me and not surprised to find that he'll never leave me and not surprised to find that he'll never forsake me. Even if it doesn't mean I'll be safe all the time, even if it doesn't mean I'm going to be healed in the way and the timing that I want, I know that he'll be with me, he'll never leave me, nor forsake me. That's why in our church we say, pray believing that God can, asking that God will, and trusting that God loves us no matter what. We have the body of evidence of the New Testament to say, pray and ask boldly, and don't be surprised when you get what you need, and when he's with you no matter what. So we pray believing that God can, asking that God will, and trusting that God loves us and knows what's best for us no matter what. Can we keep praying for one another and for our world and our community in this season in that way? And can we not be surprised when we see God's fingerprints in our everyday life? Keep praying and keep looking. Peter's building his case here, and that's his first point. This right here, this healing, this wholeness, This has God's fingerprints all over it. It's not us, it's him. Pay attention, see it. And the second movement is, in fact, Jesus is God's fingerprint in a person. Did you notice those titles that he uses of Jesus? He calls him the Holy One, right? The one that God chose even when you didn't. He was the holy and set apart one, sent to Mankind, even though his own people rejected him. He was the Holy One. How about that title, the Righteous One? He was the one doing God's work, even when you condemned him and said, ah, he's a sinner, hanging out with all those sinners. No, he was the one on the right side of God's movement and work. He was the Holy One. He was the Righteous One. How about that phrase, the author of life? I love that phrase. Maybe your translation says like the prince of life. But I need you to understand that it's not exactly that he rules over life. To say in those days that someone was the author is to say that they're like the originator. They're the one that's initiating, leading. They're the source of what's to come. Maybe like Stephen F. Austin, right? Axum Jacks. That's for you, Mamies. Now, he's like the father of Texas, right? Stephen F. Austin. It doesn't mean that he like invented Texas. It doesn't mean that he like resided and ruled over. It meant that he was the one that was originating and getting this thing going. To say that Jesus is the author of life is like John says, in him was life. And that life was the light of all humankind, even though his own people rejected him. And that's the terrible and tragic irony, isn't it? You took the life of the author of life. And so then in verses 17 and 18, 
Peter uses that other title, Messiah, that I mentioned a moment ago. So not only is he the Holy One, the Righteous One, the author of life, he's your King. He's your chosen and prophesied and spoken of Messiah. The problem is you thought a Messiah should kill instead of be killed. You thought your Messiah should make others suffer instead of the one suffering himself. And he says, no, 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 no. This was part of the story all along. I want you to hear this. That our King, our Messiah, would save a suffering world through experiencing suffering himself. Our King, our Messiah, would save the world marked and marred by death, by experiencing death himself. Let me say it this way. Our Savior saved the world from suffering through suffering. Our Savior saved the world from death through death so that He might bring us new life on the other side so that even suffering and death will not be the last word. God's promises are rooted in and fulfilled in our suffering Savior. And even though you handed Him over and killed Him, and even though you were ignorant to see it, now's your chance. The third movement is repent. Change your mind about Jesus. You with me? This has God's fingerprints all over it. In fact, Jesus, the Holy, Righteous One, Messiah, all that, He's God's fingerprint in a person. So you better change your mind about Jesus. I want you to hear this. Can you imagine? When Peter's saying this stuff, he's not just saying it theoretically. He's saying it to a crowd of people that only a matter of weeks or months before had literally been complicit in the public execution of their Messiah, God's Son. This wasn't theoretical. He's saying, you, y'all, remember? You and those leaders and those leaders? Yeah, you over there in the temple. Y'all were the ones who killed Jesus. Understand that. If they can get a second chance, you can get a second chance. Somebody give me an amen, hallelujah. Amen. Oh, thank you, Amy. My producer gives us an amen on the other side of the phone. <laughs> I love this because some people think that God wants nothing to do with them because they're guilty. Guilty says, I did a bad thing. I did a thing that God could never forgive. Let me tell you some good news. When he says to repent, to change your mind that leads to a change in action, the first step is to cross over from death to life. To say, Jesus, I was wrong. I was wrong about how I've lived my life. I'm wrong about trying to be my own number one. I want to say, you're Lord, and I give you my life. That's what it means. That's the first step, the first repentance. What happens, Peter says, is you can have your sins blotted out. So when you feel guilty, like I did a bad thing, and you turn to Jesus, Peter says, guess what? You can have your sins blotted out. Now, imagine in those days they would write on papyrus, right? This thick kind of paper. And the ink that they would use wouldn't have the same kind of acid and chemicals that we would have. It would not soak through the papyrus. So to delete something, you don't need whiteout. You would just take a cloth and literally 
wipe it off the surface of the paper. Peter is saying, whatever you've written down and scrawled out that is against God's way, against humanity's love and compassion, when you've screwed up so bad, whatever you've written out, however much you've written out, you say yes to Jesus, and God gives you his life and forgiveness, and you can wipe those sins away. Even you who feel guilty, even that crowd who were literally complicit in the murder of the Son of God, they get their sins wiped out if they say yes to Jesus. The second thing Peter says when you repent, a change of mind that leads to a change in action. I'm changing my mind about you, Jesus. You are who you say you are. I'm giving my life to you to follow you. You not only find forgiveness, he says this really interesting phrase. Do you remember what he says? So that times of refreshing can come through the Lord. A couple weeks ago, I helped mow. I didn't help. I mowed my neighbor's yard. We've been getting to know him over the last couple months. And he had an, an older man that lives alone. And he had recently had surgery on his arm. And he couldn't mow the yard. So I went over there a few doors down and mowed his yard for him. And guess what? It's hot in Texas. Did you know that? It's like crazy hot right now. And it's that sneaky kind of hot that's the heat index that is like hotter than you even realized how hot it was. So I'm mowing this yard and I realize that every molecule of water has escaped my body and I'm like bone hot crazy. And it was right at that moment that an angel of the Lord appeared in the neighbor of my neighbor across the street. I literally turned around and here's this dude I've never met walking up with a bottle of water. I guess I looked pretty rough because this dude walked over and gave me that bottle of water. And it was an awesome gift because I was stupid and didn't bring water with me down the street. So this dude gives me this bottle of water and I inhale it. And I think that experience approximates what Luke, who is recording the words of Peter, is trying to convey. Times of refreshing. That word connotes an, a relief, a renewal, the kind of word where you have that burn or that wound and somebody just relieves that pain. When you're mowing your neighbor's yard in July in Texas and a neighbor who's an angel of the Lord, I'm convinced of it and you can't tell me otherwise, gives me that bottle of water and I feel the refreshing of the Lord. Now here's how I want to illustrate this because he takes that with verse 21 and says, Jesus is the one who gives you a little bit of refreshing now when you turn to him. But one day he's going to come back and the whole world is going to experience that fresh, cold bottle of water. And he's going to make all things new. In 2 Peter 3.13, Peter wrote, wrote this letter decades after his address to the crowd. He says, Yo, we're still waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus in Revelation 21, when he comes back to finish the refreshing work he started, he says, Behold, I make all things new. This is a refreshing that's not just for then, someday. It's a refreshing you can experience now in part. It's that cold bottle of water on the hot July day, but it will pale in comparison. As good and beautiful as it is now, it's only a foretaste 
of that dip into that Olympic-sized new heaven and earth pool if you catch my drift. You with me? All of this is possible. The forgiveness and refreshing when you say yes to Jesus because you need to understand this. God in Christ has already said yes to you. We messed up and said no and crucified him. But Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. But here's the invitation. Now that you know better, now that you know that we have failed, that we have struggled, that we feel guilt and we feel shame, know that we can still have a next step with Jesus. As long as you're living and breathing, there's a next step to take with Jesus. And the word is repent Change your mind about Jesus. Come and find life and forgiveness and refreshing in his name. Or, Peter says, if you don't listen, you're going to find yourself cut off from God's life and God's people. And you don't want to experience that. At the end of the age, when Jesus comes to renew all things, there are still going to be people that say no. There are still people living right now that say no. And they are going to find that rejecting God means rejecting his life, means rejecting his forgiveness. Even though he has his arms open wide saying, yes, yes, yes. When you say no, you put yourself in position to be cut off from God's life, to be cut off from God's love. And what you find is not eternal life given through Jesus. You find eternal death. It's life and death. So Peter's saying, listen up and respond and turn and repent. Come to God. If they can, you can. So let's turn back to him. For some of you, that's going to be the first step from death to life. Yes, Jesus, I want to give you my life and find that you can give me God's eternal life back that begins here and now with forgiveness and refreshing. But ultimately, Peter wants to seal the deal by saying, guys, you should have known And that final piece, as he says, because the story of God's blessing is all summed up in Jesus. This has God's fingerprints all over it. In fact, Jesus is God's fingerprint in person. So change your mind about Jesus because the story of God's blessing is all summed up in Jesus. Peter does in Acts chapter 3 what Peter does in Acts chapter 2 and what the rest of the speakers in the book of Acts are going to do. They're going to say, look, this isn't some newfangled community. We're the renewed community of the same God that has been telling you about this all throughout Scripture. All Scripture is pointing to Jesus. Samuel, yeah, he was pointing to this fulfillment right now. Yeah, Moses, he was pointing to this fulfillment right now. Oh yeah, the prophets, they were pointing to this fulfillment right now. Oh yeah, the Torah, the five books of the law that I've been quoting, they're pointing to this fulfillment right now. It's all headed to this. Oh, Abraham, yeah, way back when God said through you and your people, I'll bless all people, that's happening now. Because the story of Acts is how... This good news about Jesus goes to everyone, everywhere. All people have the invitation to say yes back to God. 
Jesus is where the story's been headed all along. The writer of Hebrews reiterates the closing of Peter's message at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, same thing Peter's saying, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. They're all finding their fulfillment in Jesus. And through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the shininess of God's shine, the gloriness of God's glory. This is who Jesus is. And listen, the exact representation of his being. Jesus is God's fingerprint. Jesus is the kingdom of God in person, sustaining all things, you, me, in him, we live and move and have our being by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, after they're all blotted out on the cross, Hebrews, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Like Peter says, he had to go to God's space until he comes back to finish the job. The story of God did not have some crazy left turn in the person of Jesus. No, the story of God was headed toward Jesus all along. And it's a story that you and I are invited into. Just because they were religious, it doesn't mean that they were responsive. Would we be responsive to the leanings and leadings of the Holy Spirit of God? Would we listen close just because they were religious, it didn't mean they were responsive to the heart of God and the story of Jesus. And just because they blew it once, it doesn't mean that they're not invited to take a next step. Guilt says, I did bad, and Jesus can forgive you and restore you. Shame says, I am bad, and Jesus wants to refresh you and fill you with the abundant kind of life so that you can know that you know that you know that there is a Father who loves you and calls you beloved. This is the invitation. So may we see God's fingerprints in our everyday life. May we see Jesus for who he is, God's fingerprint in a person. May we change our minds about Jesus to see him as so much bigger and more powerful and surprising than we ever thought Will we change our minds. And would we see the story of God's blessing summed up in the amazing, wonderful work of who Jesus is and what Jesus does so that you and I may be the people of God who have crossed over from death to life. In Jesus' name, go in peace.